shining in the darkness. And I will follow you, oh, my lighthouse, my lighthouse. I will trust the promise. You will carry me safe to shore. that they do but if you've ever been in one and you see the massiveness of that lamp in there that puts out a tremendous amount of light all to protect those people going by out in the ocean that for whatever reason they just you know back in the days before GPS's where we could just pull up an address on our phone <laughs> I even have it so that when I'm out on the water if I'm on a lake you know I can find places but that wasn't the case a long time ago and uh, said that's the way that the spirit is the light inside of us that warns us when we're too close to the shore when we're too close to danger and we have to listen to that 
seated above, enthroned in the Father's love. Destined to die, poured out for all. God's only Son, perfect and spotless one. He never sinned, but suffered as if he the blood of the Lamb and the Word. 
of our testimony All right, good morning everyone. Getting myself all hooked up here. feel like the Tin Man, just with a lot of electrical circuits. So that's never a good thing. Welcome to you all. It's good to see you this morning. Thank you again, Pastor Ham, for last week and filling in. I do appreciate that much. And uh, it's good to have you all joining us, either by Facebook Live, hopefully you can hear okay, or by YouTube. And uh, just so you know, as I sent out the email uh, just again yesterday, Christy responded and said she's worked her magic and uh, we should say grace of the Lord, right? Not magic. And uh, is able to be able to get uh, YouTube Live going again. So it uh, looks like we're going to be able to do both. And so you have a great opportunity to have that. So welcome those of you who are watching either way. Glad to have you with us. And let me just also say thank you so much to um, each of you who said something and uh, your kindness uh, during this time with uh, Debbie's dad passing away. Appreciate that very much. Many of you have been through something like that, lost a loved one, lost a parent, and uh, you know it can be a challenging time, especially when family's not doing the greatest. Not talking about our immediate family, but uh, a lot of issues on the other side, and it's just uh, just been a challenging time. So thank you for your love and your kindness uh, to us as a family and to her especially. Uh, be in prayer for her mom, if you will. You probably got the message. She is still in the hospital, uh, even right now. Hopefully going to be going home today. Not quite sure, but. Um, just struggling with some physical issues. So all these things are challenging. Got a chance to see Dad on Saturday, excuse me, Friday, and um, wasn't doing real well. He still has his sense of humor, but uh, he's going the other direction a lot. And so uh, we don't know. But uh, what we do know is that God is good, amen, and God has promised us great things. So 
Anyway, a lot to pray about and thank you for. We appreciate it so very much. Just a couple of announcements. Uh, Thank you to those of you who came out on Tuesday night. I know that was a last-minute request on my part, and you responded. It was hot. Uh, We sat outside, stood outside. Some of you moved to the shade, but we just lifted up our hearts in prayer over all that's going on in our nation, and so we appreciate that much. If you didn't get a chance to come last Tuesday, uh, we're going to do it again here at 6.30, right out here in the front. Uh, the only thing I would ask is that if you do come, and obviously you're going to be driving, but would you, if you're going to get out of your car, would you park away so those, of the, uh, those who are not going to get out of their car can take these front spots? That would be very helpful to them so they can hear the PA. We'll do our best to get all of this working. I'm hoping to go with Facebook Live for Tuesday night at 6.30 so uh, folks can watch online. Uh, we'll do our best to make that happen. As a friend of mine says, uh, we're kind of building the plane as we're, as we're flying. So uh, this has been quite the interesting journey, uh, trying to put all this together. Christy and Hamp have done a wonderful job uh, of feverishly trying to put things together so we can get the word out just outside of this little building right now. And uh, we pray that God has been using it. That's our goal and that's our hope. Wednesday night will go on as planned. We're doing our Zoom meetings for our uh, Wednesday night Bible study, so we'll be back in in gear for that if you want to join us. All the Bible studies, men, that'll be happening as normal, okay? All right, well, it is good to see your smiling faces, even though I can't see someone behind the mask. But it's good to have you with us today. We miss those that couldn't be here together. Maybe soon, and whatever that looks like, we'll be together completely as a family. But until then... We'll do whatever we can do to make the word of the Lord go out and us to have a time of fellowship. So now that we're here together, let's go ahead and pray and ask the Lord's blessings on our time together. Lord, thank you already this morning for how we've been so blessed uh, just to have life, just to get out of bed and Lord, to breathe another breath. We thank you that it is truly a gift from you. Thank you for the summertime, even though it's hot and humid and I know all of us have opinions about that, just like anyone would, but we just thank you that it's not uh, two degrees or freezing or whatever else that we can gather in your name. Thank you, Lord, for technology. Thank you for those that understand technology and can make these things happen. But now, Lord, we just simply want to push ourselves away from the things of this week, although it's been a very challenging week, of which I'll speak to in just a minute. We do thank you for your sovereign hand. And we look to you this morning to guide us in a very challenging, very, very challenging, difficult subject. And we pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as I was just saying in my prayer, uh, you all know, I don't have to tell you this, we're living in very challenging times, at least for those of us that are alive. Uh, Some people have gone on before us, have had challenging times, no less. Uh, But these are challenging times. We've now been in, I think, just the other day, or yesterday was... Uh, Devotion 63 or 62, I can't remember, uh, that I've put out. So that's 62 days, and that's skipping some days due to various things and skipping Sundays. So we're well into this COVID-19 thing, and uh, we're all feeling the effects of that ad nauseum, the social distancing and uh, just the issues of whether to wear a mask or not to wear a mask. That's become a struggle for a lot of people. Uh, And these things create division. As I mentioned before, one of my greatest concerns is that God's people even would be divided over issues that we find in our world. And we never want that to be the case. We are to be a people of united hearts. So we don't want the mass people sitting over here and the non-mass people sitting over here, if you get what I mean. Right? We don't want that kind of thing. We want uh, complete harmony. So it's been a real struggle. It's been a, been a challenge uh, for all of us everywhere. 
And now, on top of all of that, we have the issue of all the riots and the unrest in the nation, which seems to have taken front and center above uh, what we've been dealing with with the pandemic. You've been watching the news. You know what's going on. Um, Maybe you have people that you have been around that are feeling this. Maybe you've been the victim of some of this in some way. I pray that that's not the case on either side. But nonetheless, now we're in the midst of all this. So both of these things right now in our life has really caused uh, a suspect of government. There's been an issue, as you're watching now, how people have just struggled, especially with the riots and all that we're seeing now, authority in general, and what really authority is to be all about. More and more people are frustrated. Uh, They're upset over what's going on, about how people are being treated, Uh, They're upset about how the government operates, what decisions are being made, what decisions are not being made. And some people have gone so far as to even question the questioning the purpose of authority at all. And why do we even need it if it's going to be this way? And the sad reality is, as much as I was talking about the division between the mask and the no mask, is that Christians are being pulled in different directions as well, causing God's people to find themselves with questions about how they are to live in a world that's frustrated with authority. And that's what I really want to address this morning, uh, this subject of a Christian's response to authority. We need to remember, first of all, that none of this is new. The division of heart, soul, and mind is not a new thing. This has been going on since Cain killed his brother Abel. And that was just the first incidence of hatred among one another. And he did that because hatred is bound up in the heart. As much as we've been looking at Jesus' message on the Sermon on the Mount, and he's been dealing with the issue of the heart, we realize that hatred is bound up in the heart, which is why the Lord said in Ecclesiastes 9, the hearts of the sons of men are full of evil, and insanity is in their hearts throughout their lives. Let me just read that again. This is Old Testament. Thousands of years ago, written by Solomon, the hearts of the sons of men are full of evil and insanity. It is in their hearts throughout their lives. That's the human race. So this is not new for any of us. This is not new for humanity. This is just what we're living through that man has lived through for lots of centuries. Even the Lord said in Mark chapter 7, verse 21, For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed the evil Thoughts. Out of the hearts of evil men come evil thoughts. Fornications, thefts, murders, adulteries, deeds of coveting and wickedness, as well as deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. And that sick heart, beloved, causes mankind to rebel against anything or anyone that holds or who holds power over it leaving a lot of people confused and asking what we are to do with authority. And so that's what I really want to address this morning. And so if you'll forgive me one more time, even though I said we're going to continue on in Matthew, sometimes society dictates and God certainly dictates what we need to cover. We don't want to be confused over our role under authority. Now, some of you, this will be just old news. 
uh, for some of you, because I know that there have been conversations that have been going out, especially among our younger people, and even among our older ones. There, I had a conversation with a friend of mine who just called me, and he's a lover of the Lord, uh, but just said, I'm just so frustrated over what's going on, and I just want to take matters into my own hands and do something about it. And he was feeling the effects of his flesh. And so we're all there. People are there. So it's necessary for us to cover this. So my title this morning is that a Christian, what's the Christian's response to authority? What is the Christian's response to authority? Well, God has the answer, as he always does. So let's stand in honor of his word. And let's look at 1 Peter chapter 2, beginning in verse 13. 1 Peter chapter 2, beginning in verse 13. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether to a king as the one in authority or to governors as sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do right. For such is the will of God that by doing right you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. Act as free men, And do not use your freedom as a covering for evil, but use it as bond slaves of God. Honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. Amen. You may be seated. There are several things that Peter brings out that I think we need to see clearly so we understand where we stand in light of society today. I'm going to say some more about this, but let me just give you the context of what's happening here. Peter is writing at a time when there was great oppression of people. It was a vicious, cruel time to be a Christian. Peter was writing under the command or under the authority of the evil emperor Nero in Rome. And Nero, it's told, we're told that was so bent on his own power and his own control and that he loved to build things. He loved to build the city of Rome. And it came about in time that there was nothing else to build, according to historians. And so Nero decided that he would burn the city. And when people got word and it started circulating that maybe Nero had something to do with this, he couldn't, do, he couldn't take that kind of blame and so he deflected it. And so the people that caught the brunt of his fury or his deflection were the Christians, which started an all-out war from Rome against the Christians because how in the world could people do such a thing to their beloved city? And as a result, there came horrific and unbelievable persecution against God's people. It's in that simple context, and I don't have time to tell you all of it. We'll go through more of this in just a minute to give you the better flavor of it. But it's in that context that we need to see ourselves reading what Peter wrote to those people during that day. So number one, Peter is saying, from the power of the Spirit of God, he's saying God's people are commanded, number one, to submit to authority. Commanded to submit to authority. Look at verse 13 again. He says, submit yourselves for the Lord's sake. Now that phrase, submit yourselves, or submit, is a military expression. You've heard this taught before, probably. It's a military expression that really means to arrange in formation under the commander. That's the idea here. Every person who's ever been a part of the military, and many of you all have, or you've at least known someone or had a family member part of the military, understands that when he or she takes an oath of service, they are submitting themselves to a superior. 
And they're doing that purposefully and they do that willingly because that's part of the duty. They understand the ramifications and the call to everything that goes along with that submission. In fact, I want you to listen to the oath of enlistment that every man and woman takes who are entering into the army. It simply goes, I, and then you state your name, do solemnly swear that I will support and defend the Constitution of the United States against all enemies, foreign and domestic, that I will bear true faith and allegiance to the same, and that I will obey the orders of the President of the United States and the orders of the officers appointed over me according to the regulations and the uniform code of military justice, so help me God. And that is a very determined kind of focused purpose that's been written and recited over and over again throughout the years with our military people. And and by the way, it doesn't mean that those people who are going into the military are doing it because it's going to be always a lot of fun or it's going to be really joyful. Many of you who've served in the military and are serving in the military understand that well. You look back on history and you realize there have been family members that I've had that have been called away from their normal lives lives and their jobs, their occupations, to go to foreign lands to serve because the commander-in-chief and our Congress has called them to do that. It comes at very difficult times, often. But that's what they sign up for because they understand that they are under the authority of those above them. In fact, just this last week in all of this going on, our son Jordan, who's a part of the National Guard, uh, was put on alert uh, to either go to Richmond uh, or to possibly go to D.C. and was just living under the pressure of what that looked like and how that felt. Now, by the way, we were spending some family time away, and those things never are convenient, are they? I'm not talking about the family time. Often that's not convenient either. But he was there enjoying some time with family, and he gets the call. Okay? So we understand that even though we are given these commands, it's not always fun and not always easy. Again, now when Peter wrote this, I want to get this firmly in our minds. He was writing to Hebrew Christians who were under the very threat of persecution of their lives from the government of Rome. Very important that we understand that. Again, Nero was the emperor, an evil Man, these people were displaced from their homes, moved out of their places that they lived in. Their property was often confiscated. It got so bad that they would be fed to the lions as entertainment for the people of Rome and for Nero. They were used as human torches as their bodies were covered with tar or pitch and then they were bound and tied to a stake or a pole and they were stuck up high and lit on fire so that the city streets would be bright at night for people to just pass by. This is where the people were, the God's, God's people. And yet the Lord writes this through Peter to call his people to submission even to that kind of government. Now, I don't know about you, but that would be really challenging. I can't imagine watching one of my loved ones be treated that way in any shape or form and hear God say, submit yourselves. This is the context. This wasn't just a time when everybody was out at the carnival or the fair or just going and enjoying life at the lake. This was a time of great, great struggle, great persecution from those very ones who were the authorities over the land. Very challenging. 
Paul would say the same thing in his letter to the Roman church under the same hand of Nero while imprisoned himself numerous times, beaten numerous times, left for dead. He says every person is to be in subjection to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God and those which exist are established by God. Let me read that again. Every person is to be in subjection to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and those which exist are established by God. Powerful. Very clear. Very direct. Very challenging. And there are many examples of submission to leadership throughout the scriptures. I'll just name a few of them way back in the Old Testament, just to show us that this is not new. It was when Samuel was instructed to anoint Saul as king over Israel. You remember the story that the Hebrews wanted a king just like the rest of the people around them. And God says, no, you have your king, I'm him. You don't need another man to serve you, to serve over you. But they insisted and so God appointed Samuel the prophet to anoint Saul the king. And Samuel says to all the people, do you see him whom the Lord has chosen? That's a very important statement there, a question. Do you see whom the Lord has chosen, even though the people thought they had chosen Saul? Surely there's no one like him among all the people. So all the people shouted and said, long live the king. Even years later, when Solomon was chosen to be king over Israel, we read in 1 Chronicles 29:24, all the officials, the mighty men, and also the sons of the king of David pledged allegiance to King Solomon. And it was our Lord who later, when he was on the earth, also pledged his allegiance, if you will, to the governing authorities of his day. In John chapter 6, verse 38, he says, For I have come down, speaking of his Father from heaven, not to do my will, but the will of him who sent me. Jesus was himself under the authority of his own Father. In Mark chapter 12, verse 17, Jesus was asked in that uh, interesting encounter between some of the religious leaders about how do we know what to give to God and what to give to man? Caesar requires us to give to him, but yet God requires us to give to him. How do we go about doing this? How do we live this life? And Jesus responds simply by saying, give to Caesar the things that belong to Caesar and give to God the things that belong to God. Jesus never usurped the authority that God had put in place. And we'll talk about that more in just a minute. So our subject for today is that God expects his people to submit themselves to earthly authority. And the question would be, why? Why should anybody submit themselves to earthly authority? What would be the reason? What's the purpose when it seems to be so broken? Well, the answer is pretty simple. As you read in verse 13, chapter 13 of Romans 1, it's because God appoints them. It is God who puts all authority in place. Let's go back and look at verse 1 of Romans 13. There is no authority except from God. There's no authority except from God. And those which exist are established by God. God is the one who puts people in places of authority. That's what Paul is saying. That's what Peter is saying. And so if that's true then no matter who is in authority, God is the one who is ultimately in charge. Amen? 
God is the one who is ultimately in charge because he put them there. Therefore, to revolt or to usurp the authority of any form of government is then equivalent to revolting or usurping the authority of God. It's our job to submit ourselves to all authority and to all governors or government. In fact, nowhere does Scripture condone any attempt to overthrow the government in the name of God or in anything else. Nowhere does Scripture teach us that. In fact, we're taught just the opposite, which we're getting from these two passages. But even in the Old Testament, as we heard of people's submission to leadership, we have this writing in Proverbs 24, verse 21 through 22. My son, fear the Lord and the king. But listen to this. Do not associate with those who are given to change. For their calamity will rise suddenly, and who knows the ruin that comes from both of them. Do you see that phrase in there in verse 24, in chapter 24, those who are given to change? Now that's not talking about people who just like change. There are a lot of people who like change. That's not what it's talking about. In the context, the writing refers to rebels who seek to overthrow government. God's saying, don't be a part of that. Because I have established government. You as my people are never to be a part of rebelling against government. The command is very simple. As Peter says in chapter 2, you are to submit to authority. And notice this again going back now with me in 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 18. This is written just a little later outside of the text we just read, but I want you to see this because it will help us understand how serious God is about this and it will help answer some questions in your minds. Beginning of verse 18, he says, Servants, and that would today be equivalent to our employees or, and masters being the employers. Servants, be submissive to your masters with all respect. But get this. Not only to those who are good and gentle. That's the easy part, right? Everybody loves to serve under somebody that's good and gentle. I love that. But Peter says, but also to those who are unreasonable. Yeah. God says, even those jerks, those people that are unreasonable in their requests of you, if you are under their authority, you are to respond favorably to them. That's what my people do as God would say it. Verse 19, and this is what we know, Peter says, for this finds favor if for the sake of conscience, in other words, if nothing more than toward your conscience, toward God, a person bears up under sorrows when suffering unjustly. And he'll go on to talk about how unimportant it really is if you suffer for doing bad, that's nothing. But when you suffer for doing good, It reflects your heart and your following of God. You can go back and read chapter 2 and pick up all of that. And why does God say all of this? Yes, because he's established authority, and we're going to look at that even more fully just to get it in our heads. But number one, it's really because some government is better than no government. Some government is better than anarchy. And I think you would agree with that. Ultimately, we know that no matter who is in control... In this earthly life, God is sovereign over them. God is the one who is the authority over them. So, God says through Paul and Peter, we are to accept the treatment we receive because we know that God will ultimately care for us. God's going to take care of his people. 
we will ultimately be with him. One day we're going to be in the kingdom, right? So we can't lose. So God says, keep that in your mind. You must remember and keep focus what I am, have taught you and what you are to know to be true, that you belong to me. You're not of this world. So you belong to me. You submit to the authorities that I have put in place, and I will care for you even to the end. And that's why Paul could say to the church in Romans 14:8, for if we live, we live for the Lord, or if we die, we die for the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are of the Lord. Amen? We are of the Lord. Now, I know the question that's coming in your minds, which would be, so I'm supposed to submit to all authority, even when that authority is evil and has evil intentions? Yes, we are. Because what God is teaching us is that ultimately he is in control. It really doesn't matter what evil authority does because God is in control. He is the sovereign Lord and he will have the final word. Debbie and I have been talking a lot about how through all of this, the coronavirus and the riots and everything, whatever evil tries to do, the one person that they continually factor out of the equation is God. But you have to factor as God's people, God into the equation every time. No matter how evil or bad things look, God is always going to have the final trump card. And I'm not talking about President Trump. He's going to have the final say in his time, in his way. In fact, we see several passages of Scripture that help us understand this. And I'm going to blitz through these pretty quickly. A first few of them are on the screen for you. But let's go back way back uh, to Exodus in the time of the Hebrews in their bondage to, uh, to Pharaoh. Pharaoh was a ruthless man as well, very suppressive, very oppressive. But notice what we hear from the Lord talking about Pharaoh in Exodus 7. The Lord says to Moses, see, I make you as God to Pharaoh, talking about when Moses was to go back to him to tell him it's time to let the people go. Pharaoh's going to look to you as a God, Moses, and your brother Aaron shall be your prophet. You shall speak all that I command you, and your brother Aaron shall speak to Pharaoh that he let the sons of Israel go out of this land. And notice verse 3. So God says to Moses, go do this, Aaron. you and Aaron. Take your brother. He'll speak for you. You'll be as God to him. But verse 3, we come to that very challenging part. But I will harden Pharaoh's heart. But I'll harden his heart. What's God telling us? God has a sovereign purpose in this whole situation because he is sovereign over even the heart of Pharaoh. Psalm 2, verse 8, God says, Ask of me and I will surely give you the nations as your inheritance and the very ends of the earth as your possession. Proverbs 21, 1, The king's heart is like channels of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he wishes. Listen to that like water that cuts its way through the most easy path it can find. And we've all watched water do that. You let enough water go, small or big, it's going to find the weakest path and it's going to cut its channel. And the Lord is saying here in Proverbs 21, the king's heart is like a channel of water in my hand. I will turn it however I want it to go. God is sovereign. Psalm 22:28 For the kingdom is the Lord's and he rules over the nations. Plural. 
Psalm 48, 47a, God reigns over the nations. God sits on his holy throne. Psalm 66, 7, he rules by his might forever. His eyes keep watch on the nations. Let not the rebellious exalt themselves. Should be a verse that's plastered everywhere. Psalm 72, 11, and let the kings bow down before him. All nations serve him. Psalm 96.10, say among the nation, the Lord, the nations, the Lord reigns. Indeed, the world is firmly established. It will not be moved. He will judge the people with, in, with equity. In Psalm 113.4, the Lord is high above all nations. His glory is above the heavens. It's beautiful, isn't it? Isn't that so comforting to know? That no matter what happens in our day, God is ruling from his throne over the affairs of every human instrument that he uses in authority. Quoting from a sermon by John MacArthur, he writes of a man named Robert Culver who said this, God alone has sovereign rights. Democracy or democratic theory is no less unscriptural than divine right monarchy. But whatever means men come into positions of rulership by dynastic descent or family connection, plurocratic material resources, or by democratic election, quote, there is no power but of God. Furthermore, civil government is an instrument, not an end. Men are proximate ends, but only God is ultimate end. The state owes neither its citizens nor their properties, minds, bodies, or children, excuse me, owns them. All of these belong to their creator God who has never given to the state rights of eminent domain. Powerful statement, isn't it? Now, is he saying that democracy is bad? No. What he's saying is no matter what form of government there is, God is in sovereign rulership over it all. In fact, God recognizes all leadership. That's a tough, tough one to swallow. Does that mean he always agrees? No. But what it means is that he is sovereign over the most ruthless dictator and will have the final word. But he uses that for his divine purposes. So it's really very simple. We submit because we are called to obey the Lord. We obey his eternal headship. He is the one we look to. And listen, his headship, get this, his headship is not democratic or republican. His headship is not anything else. It's not socialist. It is a dictatorship. It is a dictatorship that is pushed and motivated by love and mercy and grace because he is the epitome of a benevolent master. What does that mean? That God is a dictator because it often gives us a negative connotation. Well, it shouldn't in this sense because of all the reasons I just said. But what it does mean is that there's no voting in heaven. We're not going to go to the voting booths, to the polls, when we're in heaven. God's not going to ask our opinion about what we like and what we don't like about what he's done or hasn't done. It's his kingdom. He doesn't give in to every demand that's placed on him. You know that. Because we've tried to demand a lot from him over the years. He doesn't abdicate his throne just simply because someone could do it better. He's God. 
And as God, he will do what God does. And because of all of that, we are to honor him and honor all of his commands. Psalm 119.33, Teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes, and I shall observe it to the end. Do you hear the difference? The person of God says, Lord, I see that you are sovereign. You are in authority over all men, no matter whether I agree with them or not. So I submit to you and I will follow you to the very end because I know that you are a loving and gracious God. So it should be our heart's desire to obey earthly authority, if for no other reason but because God is the one we are first submissive to. We first submit to God and then we submit to earthly authority in that order. God is sovereign over all the governments of men. So we don't need to worry about the leaders who do and who don't do. That's not for us to worry about. It is our role to submit. And Jesus really gave one of the clearest illustrations of both of these subjects, the sovereignty of God over the affairs of man and his own submission to the earthly authorities. Do you remember when he was just about to be crucified? In John chapter 19, he was arrested and he's brought before Pilate. Here's what we read. He entered into the praetorium again and said to Jesus, that's Pilate speaking of him, where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. So Pilate said to him, you do not speak to me? Do you not know I love this? Do you not know that I have authority to release you? I have the authority to even crucify you? Wouldn't you have just loved to have been a fly on the wall? Because listen to verse 11. Jesus answers, And he says, you'd have no authority over me unless it had been given you from above. For this reason, he who delivered me to you has the greater sin. Talking about Judas. What's Jesus saying? Hey, I'll submit to you, Pilate, because my father has a greater purpose. And oh, by the way, you wouldn't be wearing that robe or that award or whatever it is that calls you leader here if my father hadn't given you that authority. So you see the submission and the sovereign understanding of who his father was at the same time. Now some people have used the excuse here in this last week or so, these last two weeks, that rioting is biblical because Jesus rioted in the temple. And we saw him throw the money changers table over and so that gives us biblical evidence that it's okay to riot. Now it's true that he was angry without question, but he never defiled government. That's what we need to see. Jesus never defiled government. You say, well, what did he do in the temple? Well, Jesus was overturning tables to make his purpose clear. That is, he was in the Lord's temple. This was the Lord's place. And he is the sovereign Lord. And so he had the authority to throw people out. That's why he says, my house shall be a house of prayer. This is my house and I am the sovereign Lord. He did that because he was God. But you and I are not God. He could do whatever he wanted. He can do whatever he wants. But we don't have that authority. Notice what is said of him in 1 Peter 2.23. Here's how he submitted, again another picture, in the same chapter. As Peter is talking about submitting to authority, let me give you an example of our Lord. Verse 23, while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges 
righteously. You can even just see that in the mind of the Lord. I trust you, Father. I trust you, Father. I trust you, Father. Even as I'm going through this, I will submit myself to your authority, which will ultimately submit me to earthly authority. Jesus never opposed any of that rule. He did speak against their sin, but he never opposed the authority in rebellious ways. He never led any demonstrations against anything. He didn't lead any rebellion against slavery, which was rampant in that day. He never talked about the abuse of justice and came to set himself against all of that. I mean, again, let's go back to the context. The Romans stole from God's people regularly, and even their own people. They charged unfair taxes and at exorbitant rates. They took their sons and daughters from their families to pay the taxes through child labor. Imagine that. They raped the women. They enslaved the poor. Rome believed in peace and their Pax Romana, but really it was just an external kind of a thing because in their hearts it was, we will give you peace and we will be a people in peace as long as you submit to everything that we call you to submit to. And their way of doing that was to be vicious and cruel and hateful. But the Lord always kept his focus because he had come to obey his Father. John 14, 31, So that the world may know that I love the Father, I do exactly as the Father commanded me. I do exactly as the Father commanded me. Listen, beloved, if we want to defeat these ungodly ideologies of the world that's going on right now, we have to do that with the Word of God. That's where our argument and our fight is going to come from. Everything that holds people captive, everything, must be fought through the power of the Word of the Lord. And we do that by being in submission to the Word of the Lord, which tells us in this context for today, we are to be in submission to the governing authorities. We're to focus our lives on matters that relate to God's spiritual rule. That's where we spend our energies. To think about and learn about what God would have us to do spiritually, not man's. Because one day, man's world will end and God will begin. If you go back to our book, our study in Revelation, you'll remember that as John is seeing the encounter between God and Jesus, he is given a, Jesus is given a scroll. You remember that scroll is the title deed to the earth. There's coming a day where the Lord will come back and he will take what rightfully belongs to him. Right now we are living in Satan's world. And Jesus reiterated that several times. He is the God of this world. But God is still in sovereign control over it all. Let's just encourage ourselves with some scripture here and remind us of what's going to happen in that day. Mark chapter 13, then they will see the son of the man, son of man coming in clouds with great power and glory. Won't that be an amazing time? Can you imagine what our world is going to do when it sees the sky split open and the son of man coming with power and great glory? Revelation 6:15, the kings of the earth and the great men and the commanders and the rich and the strong and every slave and free man hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains. And they said to the mountains and to the rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the presence of Him, capital H, who sits on the throne, and from the wrath of the Lamb, for the great day of their wrath has come, and who is able to stand? And then again in Revelation 19, beginning in verse 11, John writes, I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse 
And he who sat on it is called faithful and true. And in righteousness he judges and wages war. His eyes are a flame of fire and on his head are many diadems or crowns. And he has a name written on him which no one knows except himself. He is clothed with a robe dipped in blood and his name is called the word of God. And the armies which are in heaven, excuse me, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword so that with it he may strike down the nations and he will rule them with a rod of iron and he treads the winepress of the fierce wrath of God the Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. The Lord is sovereign, beloved. God is sovereign over the affairs of men. And God will have the final say in the final day. Our, de- our job is to submit. And you say, okay, I get it. That's clear. That's a lot. That's clear. But what's the depth of my submission? Well, let's look at the next verse in verse 13. Peter says, to every human institution. Oh, you mean I can't pick and choose who I want to obey and not obey? No. Whether to a king as the one in authority or to governors. That's interesting, isn't it? As sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do right. There are only a few purposes of government. As much as what government wants to come up with to think they are responsible for, there are really only a couple purposes according to the word of the Lord. Number one is to restrain evil. That's a main purpose of government, which by default then brings us to number two, which is to protect those that are innocent. If you're going to restrain evil, then you're protecting the life of innocence. And thirdly would be to promote what is good. But notice in the midst of that understanding, in the midst of all that was going on, even now Paul will write this beautiful illustration of what the real purpose of authority is for. For rulers are not a cause for fear for good behavior, but for evil. Do you want to have no fear of authority? Do what is good and you will have praise from the same. For it is a minister of God to you for good. But if you do what is evil, be afraid. For it does not bear the sword for nothing. For it is a minister of God, an avenger who brings wrath on the one who practices evil. Listen, when it comes to protecting life, the rulers or the government are or is in place because Evil is to be feared. That's why there is authority to suppress evil. The whole role of government is to put down evil, again, which is the same as protecting life. This phrase, wielding the sword, of the, looking at the King James, or carrying the sword, the meaning of that phrase is that government has been given the right under God to take life if necessary. To take life. The authority is there to take life. And you know as well as I do, as you're watching the news right now, our nation is furious, furious over the role that government is taking. Over the force that police are using. People are asking, how can the president call on the military for support? Some people have said, how in the world is it okay for police to use weapons or smoke bombs or tear gas or rubber bullets or guns? Well, they have that right because God has given them that right to suppress evil. Because God has given them that right. God has given them the right to take life if necessary in order to protect the lives of those who seek to do harm. 
For those of you who serve in the military or any way of the police department or any form of government, God has given to you a very unique and special authority. I had a young man come to see me years ago who was being deployed to Afghanistan. And he was really struggling with the whole concept. He wasn't part of our church. He just came in off the street really one day and said, I need to talk to a pastor. He says, I'm really struggling with taking another person's life and I know I'm going to be called to do that where I'm going. And I don't know how to handle this. And I was so excited to be able to share with him these passages of Scripture and be able to look at him and say, listen, God has given to you as a member of the military the right to take life if that's what's necessary to preserve peace and to keep evil from being pushed forward. Now, I'm not saying that the rioters are evil. I'm saying that the rioters are going about it all wrong. There is a way to see righteous justice served, and that is, according to God, to follow the authorities. And you say, evil the, even the evil ones? Yes, even the evil ones. People over the years have asked, how is it that soldiers or police or anybody else can murder someone? Now listen, it's not murder when God has given the divine right to protect Soldiers are not murderers. Police are not murderers. They are God-ordained instruments to keep evil away. Now that doesn't mean that there aren't evil people in the government. That doesn't mean that there aren't evil people in the police force. That doesn't mean that the, the heart is not evil even in the authority structure. But in the sense of which Paul is delivering this under a very dictatorial regime that is ruthlessly treating people, God's people, he says, submit yourselves even to that evil authority, because God is ultimately even over those that are wicked within the system of government. God will straighten it all out. Let's just suppose for a minute, just in the thinking of the purpose of government, suppose there were no police. Suppose there was no military. You know what would happen? Well, I know what would happen. Some people would say, oh, we'd be far better off. But what God would say is we'd be back like it was every man would do what was right in his own eyes. He'd be back to the laws of the West. If I want your horse, I'm going to shoot you and take it. That's where we'd be. And God knows that. God knows the depths of the wickedness of the human heart. And so he has established authority to suppress evil, even though within that government there may be evil people. Because God is ultimately in control. And God will have the final say. So our submission does not exclude authorities who make bad or corrupt decisions. That's what Peter said. Even when they're unreasonable, you submit. You submit. And if you were catching this earlier in verse 13, Peter also adds the qualifier as to why. He says, for the Lord's sake. Submit to authority for the Lord's sake. Look at that in verse 13. Submit to the Lord for his sake, to the institutions of man. And now, Peter's making this very clear here in these verses, every human institution. He's talking about the civil institutions. He's talking about employers and companies. He's even talking about within the family. So children, you are to submit to the authority of your parents. God has put them in place. And there are many other structures that God has talked about. There is a hierarchy of authority in the kingdom of heaven. We see that even in the angelic world. We see it in the satanic world. 
if we look at the scriptures. And we've studied through that before. So we are to submit to the king, to the governor, no matter who's in place, because they are there because of God's sovereign hand. God uses all forms of government, whether they be democracies or dictators or monarchies, it doesn't matter. God is in authority over them. Now, generally speaking, and this is where Paul was going, In his letter to the Romans, generally speaking, authorities reward good citizenship with good, uh, they reward good behavior with uh, with good rewards. Romans 13, 3, do what is good and you will have praise from the same. Listen, be frustrated as you want about the laws of the land. But if you obey the speed limit signs, more than likely because we live in a fallen world, but more than likely you will not be pulled over by somebody behind you. Right? That's what Paul's talking about. This is what Peter's talking about. Generally speaking, the laws of the land and the government authority rewards good behavior. Handling things properly. Just a couple weeks ago, many of you know this, there was a guy, a pastor named Mike Law, who wrote a letter to the governor, Governor Northam, about encouraging him to open churches for services, because it is a, churches are spiritual in nature, and we need health during this time spiritually. We need good health. We need to grow ourselves. I signed that letter as one of the many pastors that, that signed that, because I believe it was done in good taste. It was, it was honoring of the governor. It was not demeaning. It, it was not derogatory, but it was clear. And so I signed that, and I believe that just a week later is why Governor Northam opened up the churches to be able to meet again. I believe that he read that, not because of me, I just signed among many hundreds of others, but because he was approached as the authority in a right kind of way. And that's why you are here today. Now there's some conditions with it, and we're doing our best to meet his conditions. Do we agree with everything the governor has put out? No. Of course not. But we submit because that's what the Lord has said. And let's keep going here. The purpose of submission. I've already talked about this a little bit, but let's just be clear and this will be quick. For such is the will of God that by doing right you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. You may silence the ignorance of foolish men. Ultimately, the reason we submit to authority is, yes, because of God's sovereignty and he's commanded us to. But Peter says here to stop the speaking against of God, to silence the critics of God. That's what he's saying. This word ignorance refers to those who are purposefully wanting to be hostile to the truth. It's not talking about people who just don't know something. This is those people who purposefully want to be hostile to the truth of God. Foolish is those, speaking of those who are lacking spiritual understanding, they are hostile to the things of God because they do not understand spiritual things. And so Peter is saying, listen, we live righteously, and when we live righteously, the world has nothing to say legitimately against God. We don't give them a reason to come against God. Often, beloved, too often, God's people give God a black eye. Because on the one hand, they say they submit to the word of God. On the other hand, they go out and they shake their fist in the world's face. And the world looks at that and says, you bunch of hypocrites. You don't even follow what you say you believe. Well, the purpose that Peter is bringing up here is that, listen, yes, I know that you're living under a very difficult time right now. But submit for the Lord's sake 
because he has put all authority in place, but you do when, by doing that, you will silence the foolishness that's going on that's focusing its energy against God. And beloved, we know it's coming, and we know it's going to get worse. We know the story. We just read it in Revelation. We studied it for a couple years. Our mandate, though, until God does what he does, is to honor and to obey the authorities. And by doing so, we will put to silence those who unjustly call God something that he's not. I believe with all my heart the reason that the church is so struggling today and people don't want to be a part of the church is because the church is just way too off bounds with what God has taught and said. Okay, so fourthly, verse 16, we are to have a right attitude in all of this. I mean, it's one thing to obey the action through actions, but remember God is all about the heart. And so listen to what Peter says, act as free men and do not use your freedom as a covering for evil, but use it as bond slaves of God. Attitude is everything. The heart is everything. Without the right attitude, our actions just become actions. We just go through the motions. What God wants is to remember that we are free. We're free. We're not only free physically, but we're free spiritually. And even if we weren't free physically, we were bound in some country or some prison cell like Peter and Paul found themselves, we would understand that we are free to serve under the authority that God has placed us under. We're free because we have new hearts, we have new minds, we have a new way of thinking and living and reacting in this world. We have the peace with God again. Therefore, we are to obey from a pure heart. But what happens when we're not carefully paying attention to ourselves is that we will turn our freedom into a covering for evil, is what Peter's saying. And what he may, what he's saying there is that since I'm on my heaven, on my way to heaven, I can do what I want. I can go against the government if I want, because it doesn't matter, I'm gonna go to heaven. I can rise up and usurp all the authority that I don't agree with because I'm going to heaven. God's forgiven me. But the Lord says, No, you got the wrong understanding. The Lord says a truly righteous heart will cause us to use our freedoms to serve him freely, to be free in our service to him, and therefore serve everybody he puts in authority over us. Listen, again, and I'm not going to judge his heart. Governor Northam and all the other governors and the leaders around the country and even the world may have evil intentions. I don't know. We could surmise some things, but I may, and I may disagree with his decisions as I was talking about earlier, but I don't have to be bound in frustration or worry over the things that are done because I'm free. I've been set free by Christ, free spiritually. And so now I can obey even if I disagree without vengeance or the bitterness against the government or hostility in my heart because I know who's really in control. It's God himself. So God wants from me and from you to have a right attitude so others will learn about Jesus and be willing to listen and hear. Because when Christians go against what God has ordered, others are also influenced by our decisions. And people follow their leaders and they join situations for the wrong reasons and that's why we have protests the way we do. And that's why we have rebellions even by Christians because they get caught up in fixing things on their own instead of trusting God with what He wants. And what he has said. So let me just ask you a question. Do you, do you believe that God is able to fix the problems of this country? I mean, you have to ask yourself that question. Do you really believe that God's able to fix the problems of the country? Do you think he needs your help or my help to do that? 
No. God doesn't need anyone to help him. God uses us for his glory and for his purposes. So we've got to be careful how we answer any of that. If we say, yes, we need to show our dislike for the government, we need to do it in the proper way. We need to do it in the God-honoring way. Rioters are nothing more than frustrated people who are not being heard. People are not allowed to be having their voices or they feel like their voices are not being heard and they take matters into their own hands. God's people are never called to do that. Never called to do that. We are called to follow our sovereign God and believe that he is sovereign and able to handle any situation in our land. Now, with all that being said, before we finish the summary verse in verse 17, that'll go real quickly. Let me just give this caveat. We also are to understand, according to the biblical word of the Lord, and I won't take us through this, but we see examples of this, when the government forces us to go against the word of God, and this should be clear because we now know that God is sovereign, when the government forces us to go against the word of the Lord is when we will go the other direction. Somebody brought up to me about the issue of abortion. Government's allowing abortion. Do we follow that? No. Why don't we follow that? Because the Lord says it's wrong. So we don't follow. If the governor or anybody else comes back and says, and I believe the day is coming, that Bible is causing a bunch of rebellious people, it is outlawed. No longer are you legally clear and free to preach from it. We will preach from it anyway. And we will suffer the consequences. Why is that? Because we know who's in control. God is in control. So let's just be clear with that. When God's word is violated is when we stand up in humility, in peace, and love, and patience, but we're clear. Not through rioting or storming the White House or causing anything else. It's a, 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 a against the law. We will go about what God says in his time and in his way. Okay, so now Peter clarifies his whole summary here in one verse. Honor all the people. Love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. What does it mean to honor the people? Everyone is made in the image of God, amen? amen. Everyone. Meaning every person is to be treated with respect because they are a human being. They're made in the image of God. This word honor means not just obedience, but inner respect from the heart. People are to be treated with respect from the heart. And I love this. I was given this illustration earlier in the, in the morning service is that some years ago, Brother Greg Weber whom you know, who did our ceiling for us and has painted much around the church, a very godly man, uh, was in Danny, uh, Danny's class down the hallway when he was teaching. Danny works for Greg. And i never forget when uh, Greg said to me, in Sunday school, I submit to Danny's leadership. He's the teacher. On the workplace, Danny submits to me as the boss. You see that beautiful mutual submission there? It's just a beautiful thing. Honor people for who they are. Secondly, love the brotherhood. We should be, this should be very clear by now, we should be the examples of love, especially to other believers. We're to love our Christian brothers and sisters. We've got lots of those verses that tell us that. 1 John 3.10, By this we are the children of God, and the children of the devil are obvious. Anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor the one who does not love his brother. 
1 John 3.23, this is the commandment that we have in the name of Jesus Christ and love one another just as he commanded us. 1 John 4.7, beloved, let us love one another for love is from God and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. 1 John 4.21, this is the commandment we have from him that the one who loves God should love his brother also. Thirdly, fear God. Again, that should be pretty obvious by now. It means to honor God. We respect Him. We listen to Him. We obey Him. We trust Him in all circumstances, no matter how difficult those circumstances are. Because when we fear God as a sovereign Lord, listen, it becomes much easier to submit to the earthly authorities. And then finally, the fourth one, honor the King. should be self-explanatory. Listen, you're never going to follow that of what we just went through unless you believe the book is the word of the Lord. You're never going to buy it. You're never going to believe it. You're not going to do it. Everything that I've been preaching here is just simply not from me. This is not my heart. I've just given to you what the Lord has said. And that's what we're to do as God's people. We follow what God says. And we search the scriptures daily to find the answers to everything that is unclear to us. I had a friend of mine write to me, or called me the other day and said, Bruce, you should really get this word out because I've been a Christian for a lot of years and I didn't understand this. Well, that's great, you know, so we get the word out. So you ask yourself now, finally, as we close this out, okay, I get it. I need to submit to all authority, even the ungodly authority. But what can I do? What can I really do right now? Well, number one, you can pray. Prayer is the most neglected and unused form of connection with God. That's why we're doing what we're doing. The first thing we thought about, in fact, it was my wife's idea to have the prayer meeting outside there so passers-by can see that there's a church that loves its community and we are a very international, very mixed family of people from all over the world We want them to see that God's people love and care for others. That's why we're doing that and beseeching the Lord to bless us so we can pray. We need to get serious about our prayer life. James says in chapter 4, verse 2, You lust and you don't have. You commit murder. You're envious and cannot obtain. You fight and you quarrel. You don't have because you don't ask. It's pretty simple. Just ask me and I'll do great and mighty things for you. Here's another thing I think that's really good that we can do, and that is to examine our hearts. Continually examine our hearts. Look and see if there are any prejudices in us. And I'll guarantee you, you'll find some. Are there prejudices in your heart? You should look and see, and then confess them. You say, man, I don't know about all this. This is, this is challenging. I don't know that I like this. Well, here's the thing. What we have to remember is this is God's box. It's not our box. God placed you here under his authority. God can do whatever God wants to do. It is not for us to dictate to God as if this is our world, that this is our creation. You say, well, some of the things that God tells me to do in here don't make sense, and I don't think I can follow that. That's because you're trying to be God. You have to remember this is his box. He can shape it, fashion it, form it, change it, do whatever he wants to it. If he wants to put an ungodly leader in place, he'll put an ungodly leader in place. 
but it doesn't change what he commands of us because he is ultimately our leader. And even more practically, what can we do beyond understanding those things is I think we should contact people. This came from my daughter just the other night. We were talking about this very subject. What can we do? What can we do tangibly right now beyond prayer and and loving people? Well, one of the ways we can do is I would encourage you to find people of a different color, different nation, different uh, tribe of people, different language, and just simply ask them how they're doing through all of this. You know, people just want to know that somebody cares about them. In fact, I took her challenge and I contacted all the friends that I've had over the years that are African-American. I even contacted one of my friends from high school. And I asked them, what can I do for you? I just want you to know I love you. I'm sorry for all that's going on. And um, what, what is it that we can do for you? Just yesterday I was in advance auto picking up a part for Anna's car and uh, there was an African-American man behind me and I just turned around to him and I said, Sir, I just want to say to you that I'm sorry for what you may be experiencing through all of this. And I just want you to know that as a pastor of, of a church that our people love God and we love all people because all people are made in the image of God. I'm not talking about accepting sin. I'm talking about loving people because they are made in the image of God. I would encourage you to search your memory banks and your contacts and write a letter, do something, send them a text, send them a Facebook message, something, and say, hey, I'm just thinking about you through this time and just wanted you to know that I care about you. Leave that up to the Lord and you. Finally, fourthly, Peter says, love the people. Love people. Just love them. If you love people, you're going to make a difference. You're going to make a difference. And it's going to happen one person at a time. People will say, well, I want to do something great. I want to, I want to, that's what the rioters are doing. They're saying, we've got to make a stand. We've got to make it clear. We've got to show everybody in a big hoopla that we don't like this. Okay. What God is saying is just do it one person at a time to his people. One person at a time. You say, is that going to make a difference? It doesn't seem like that makes much of a difference. Yes, it will make a difference. Do you remember the story of the starfish? If you've never heard the story, it's a little story of a little girl who was out on the beach one day and she is just walking along with her family and she sees hundreds if not thousands of starfish washed up on the beach. And she felt sorry for them and so she just began to pick one up at a time and throwing it out into the surf. And an older man comes by and he says, Honey, 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 honey. That's not going to do anything. There are thousands of these starfish everywhere. That one, what you're doing is pointless. She looked at the starfish and she looked up back at him and she threw it in the ocean. And she said, made a difference for that one. And then the old man who was there with her said, hmm. So he started picking up starfish. And the two of them threw quite a few starfish. And then some people started saying, what's going on over there? And before it was all over, there was a crowd of people that were gathered around throwing hundreds and thousands of starfish back into the beach. You see the point? Just one small act of kindness has a way of regenerating itself in exponential ways that God can use that we'll never know. God has that ability. Why? Because he's sovereign. He is sovereign over the affairs of man. Let us... Be the people who model submission to authority. Let's do it right. Let's pray. 
Let's be the examples of godliness and God will have the final say. He's coming back. He's coming back. And he's going to make it all right. Amen? Amen. All right. Well, let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this day because this is the day that you have made for us to have breath and life once again. Lord, our hearts are so troubled over what we see in our culture, in our world. But we know that 10,000 times more your heart is troubled. And there's so many questions in our human minds that we just can't understand or have answers for because our minds are finite. We don't see it all. So Lord, help us to trust you for what you have said, for what you have done. Lord, even when we find ourselves in ridiculous situations and so frustrated by what's being asked of us through our government or whatever, even if it's within our own families or our homes or whomever it might be we're in submission to, Lord, help us to remember, if nothing else, to just simply obey for your sake, just because we belong to you and we know that you love us and you are sovereign. Help us, Lord, in our weakness. Remember that, help us to remember that we are not the leaders, that you're the leader. This is not our world. This is your world. And Lord, we will submit the best we know how with your grace. Oh, Lord, give us grace. Would you just smother us with grace? Smother us with mercy. Because without you, we're going to make a real royal mess out of all this. Lord, speak to the most darkened heart, whether it be in leadership or in the remotest part of the world. We pray that you would rescue them from the penalty and the damnation of their sin. Rescue them from the hand of Satan. And Lord, give them new eyes to see and new hearts to see that love is the answer. We thank you, Lord, for who you are. And we thank you for coming to this world, submitting yourself to the Father, that we might have life and eternal life. Give us the energy and the privilege, Lord, to go and to share that same love with others. We ask now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Would you all stand, please, for one more song? Lord, prepare me to be a sanctuary, pure and holy. and true with thanksgiving I'll be a
Father, just thank you so much. Thank you for Jesus who did come to take away our sin. Lord, forgive us for the thoughts that we have, the prejudice, the, the things that we do that dishonor you, even when we think it's right. Lord, keep us focused on your word, what we know to be true, to be perfect, to be holy. So, Lord, at this time, just we ask that you help us to go out and, and share that with those that we come in contact with through the rest of the week. Thank you for all that you do for us. Thank you for your grace and your mercy to us. And thank you for Jesus who died for us. It's in his name I pray. Amen. <laughs>